All right, it's good to see you out tonight. Grab a, uh, grab a handout, and then we're going to be looking at Job chapter 3 tonight. Job chapter 3, and uh, if you take your Bible and turn there, um, this is uh, one of the uh, more difficult and I would say more uh, challenging parts of this book, and so I'm going to warn you on the front end, this is not... Um, this is not very happy talk, you know. This is difficult. And I, th- I think about Job 3, and I think uh, about tonight. It's so dark and dreary outside. <laughs> I almost think we should do another passage, but we're not going to do that. Um, Job chapter 3. Um, I mentioned, as we kind of review a little bit of where we've been, uh, by the way, if you need, like I said, the handouts are available, you'll notice I don't really have much of an introduction here except to talk about what we've been through with Job 1 and 2, where Job has had tremendous loss. And, and really, the, 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 the plot of Job kind of slows down here. We, we've seen a lot happen. The first two chapters, God has allowed Satan to go and to take everything from him. He's lost his, his belongings. He's lost his health. He's lost his children. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his status. And uh, the accusation from Satan was, if you take all these things away, uh, Job will curse you to your face. And what does Job do instead? He, he praises God. He worships, right? He submits. You see at the end of chapter 1, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So he praises the Lord. He doesn't curse the Lord. He blesses God, doesn't curse him. And he says the same thing in rebuking his wife. At the end of chapter 2, he says, um, almost an echo of chapter 1, in verse 10, he says, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? The word adversity just means evil or calamity. So he's saying the same thing he said in chapter 1, and notice the summary in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So Job's sin was not that he did not sin. God's uh, acceptance of his behavior has been still, um, he's still accepting Job's mourning, his grief. And so as we begin, uh, I, I, I kind of ended this way last week. I gave you a hint at what we're going, and I want to start this way um, as we look at the introduction on your handout. How might we expect other Christians to handle loss and what was Job to do with the massive loss he had just experienced? How do we sometimes expect people to handle a tremendous loss? Um, inappropriately so. How do we sometimes inappropriately expect people to handle, uh, handle loss? Anger? Yeah? Yes? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's, uh, I mean, you're right, anger is true, but I, I think that's kind of where I was leaning more. With it. Yeah, go ahead. Depression, yeah. We, I, we tend to think, I think, that people shouldn't be sad. Almost like sadness is sin. Like, you know, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, come on, cheer up. Don't be sad. Be glad. I mean, I've heard all kinds of. Not, no, people wouldn't say that to someone who's who's really suffering. I don't think, but um, I think that's a real temptation for people is to think that sadness is like, as I put here, 
being sad or feeling sadness is not a sin. Okay, we need to remember that. And, and it's, it's wrong for us as, as other believers to look at our friends who are experiencing sadness. Now, I'm being very careful here in what I'm saying. Sadness. I'm not talking about, talking about um, despair or anything like that. We're talking about sadness. And somehow say that that's not a big deal or they need to get over it faster or that it somehow means that there's something wrong with them. You're going to say something, Mike? Between somebody being sad and their heart fretting against the Lord, Proverbs 19.3 speaks of the foolishness of a man twists his way and his heart frets against the Lord. So there's calamity and there are problems that come because of our own foolishness. And for an unbeliever, again, they fret against God. Sometimes even believers fret against God, blaming God rather than, like Job, worshiping and seeking wisdom and comfort from God. Right, and, and, and really when we head into Job 3, we're going to see just the, like the, the scab peeled off. Like it, it is not pretty what Job's grief and his pain, and sometimes grief and pain are not pretty. Um, people have raw feelings. And I, I just, I think, like I had um, examples. Do you have any examples? I mentioned some of these last week, so if you can remember that far back. But do you have any examples of when, it, when people are sad in the Bible and it's not s- sinful? Yes, Donna? Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. the favorite memory verse for every junior higher, right? It's like, that's the memory verse. Jesus wept. But to be completely serious about the story, it's where Lazarus dies and Jesus sees how much they loved him and he is overwhelmed with grief. Even though he's getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead, he still weeps. And weeping is not just like a little tear down the side of his face. We're talking about weeping, wailing, right? Uh, emotional weeping. So Jesus wept. Yes, John, 11.35. Anyone else have? Yeah, that's, that's one I picked out of 2 Samuel 18.33. The king was deeply moved. He went up into the chamber of his gate. If you're not familiar with the story, Absalom, who had been wicked and opposed to David, is fleeing from David's men and he gets caught and he gets he gets caught with his hair you know in the in the low branches and he gets killed and you would think that David is relieved that his son who was his usurper is dead but instead it says he went and he said thus oh my son Absalom my son my son Absalom if only I had died in your place oh Absalom my son my son the repetition of my son my son it just it, it almost just guts you, like the, the pain he's feeling there. Randy, you were going to say something? Well, you have this story in Kings of Chronicles where the king, there was a famine, and uh, the ladies were eating the kids. Yeah, yeah. And the king, you know, like his clothing was, you know, just a despair how bad can this get that my people are right. actually cannibalizing, you know? Yeah, there, there's, there are a lot, that's a great example. I also think of Genesis chapter 6. When it says in verse 6, the Lord was sorry he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. God has been grieved. God has been sad. And I know we don't, uh, you might consider that, well, that's a, if you want to get technical, an anthropopathism where it's using human language to describe God's emotions, fine. But still, the Bible says that God was grieved. And so I think that if Jesus is weeping, if God is grieved, if 
King David weeps over his son. We have kings. We have other people in the Bible who are weeping. It would be, it would be wise for us to consider that uh, sadness itself is not a sin. So let's look at, let's look at Job 3, and I begin here by uh, verses 1 through 10. I split this up into several different groups. The first is cursing his, the word is day, his day. Uh, I'm going to read some, um, some of these verses. In fact, the context is, remember, they've just sat with his friends for seven days and seven nights before they start um, speaking, before anyone says anything. And in this case, Job opens his mouth. So after sitting there and not talking for a long time, I, I, I wonder what do you think his friends were expecting him to say versus what he said. Just keep that in mind as we read this, okay? After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Now, if you look at um, my New King James says the day of his birth, and what is birth in your Bible, does it, does it have, does it have italicized? No, it just says yeah, so King James says cursed his day, right? And so um, I think that's a better translation than this because his birth, just so you know, whenever you see an italicized word in, there's a couple translations, New King James, New American Standard, both do that. That's added for what they, for clarity's sake or for what they believe is to be clear. It could be talking about his birthday, but here it's, it's broader than that. I think it's talking about um, his, his day, all of his life even, not just the day of his birth, but his day, the day of Job, the, the time of Job, okay? So it's, uh, he says, "'May the day perish on which I was born and the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. May that day be darkness, and may God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of day terrify it, and for the night may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. May jo- no joyful shout come into it. May those cursed who curse the day, those who are ready to arouse Leviathan, may the stars of the morning be dark, and may it, not, may it look for light and have none, and not see the dawning of the day, because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide sorrow from my eyes. Okay, I have here just the gloomy imperatives. Notice the, um, the constant request for reversal. Okay, for reversal. Notice he says, uh, the first one, may that day be darkness. Okay, may the day be darkness. May his birthday be forgotten. This is like the day you remember. My daughter's birthday is tomorrow. Trust me, she has remembered her birthday. She wants everyone to remember her birthday. And I know most of us want everyone to remember our birthday. We like it when people remember our birthday. Job is saying, forget my birthday. Take my birthday and send it far, far away. Um, May his mother, verse 7, have been barren. So a mother is called a mother because she gives birth. And he's saying, actually, I would have rather my mother who gave birth to me not give birth to me. Barrenness. Um, if you have a pencil, you might want to look at your Bible and note all the references to light and darkness. Look at your Bible. Where do you see them? What verses do you see those? Verse, well, we have verse 3 first, day and night, and then we have verse 4, the day be what? Darkness, nor the light shine upon it. Verse 5, may darkness and the shadow of death claim it, may a cloud settle on it. 
Verse 6, darkness sees it. Night, verse 7. Verse 9, or or verse 8, curse the day. Verse 9, the morning be dark. Okay, this is is, uh, something that a lot of people who struggle with um, sadness will, will talk about, the darkness, the dark hole. I was talking to a relative recently who struggled with depression, and he was saying that going into depression was like going into a black hole. It sucked you in, you couldn't get out. And uh, if you've read the book by, um, oh man, we just did it here for a class on depression. Who wrote that book? You remember the one, uh, the, um, the depression class we had a couple years, was it last year? Do y'all remember the Sunday school class two years ago? Was that two years ago? Man, remember, but he talks about uh, falling into a black hole and, and the, the sadness that overwhelms you. Uh, another book I would encourage you to read, I read this a few years ago, was a book by C.S. Lewis called A Grief Observed. Have you ever read that book? Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about losing his wife, and it's a very sad, very touching, um, you know, dark, at times dark thing. And I, I guess what I'm trying to get across is that sometimes we don't like to talk about dark things because they're, they're hard on us. We leave here like, oh, that's heavy. But it's important to understand what Job is going through. We'll talk at the end one of the, some of the reasons for this, uh, why we would even talk about these chapters. A fascinating little section in here. He talks about Leviathan in verse 8. May those curse it, curse the day, those who are ready to arouse Leviathan. Leviathan is a dinosaur-like serpent creature and monster of the sea. He is, uh, in, in traditional stories, he is the bringer of chaos and death. Okay, he's a chaos monster. He brings chaos. And so if Leviathan is being roused, you're asking for chaos. You're asking for destruction. You're not asking for, for, uh, for, for life. You're asking for death. Morning stars look for light and find nothing. So he's cursing his day. He's cursing his day. Lots of sorrow, lots of sadness. Keep going in verse 11. He questions his birth. Questions his birth. And he seeks first, um, he's wish, he wishes he had been stillborn. Look at verse 11. Why did, I, why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breasts that I should, that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest. The kings and the counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves or with the princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw what? Light. You see it? Verse 16. Am I running ahead of you? Look at verse 17. There the wicked cease from troubling and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor, the small and the greater there, the servant is free from the master. What is it that Job is looking for here? Did you notice the repeated refrain? Somebody said it. Peace, there's another word for that, yeah. Rest, do you see it? Look at all the times he mentions rest. He says, I would have been quiet, I would have lain still, I would have been asleep. Then I would have been, verse 13, at rest. The kings and the counselors on the earth. Now, why does he talk about those guys? Why does he talk about um, people who are wealthy, kings and princes? Do you notice he talks about, look at verse 14 and 15. Why do you think he uses those images? Why do you think he's talking about people who are really wealthy? They may be protected from a lot of calamity. Yeah, you are... Uh, you are able to rest in your house if you have everything. I like, think about how much how much better you sleep at night if all your bills are paid. If you don't have any like 
problems, like financial problems. You know, you have plenty of money. You have a four. He talks about here the um, kings and counselors of the earth who build ruins for themselves. You know, they, they have like walls around themselves. Princes who had gold filled their houses with silver. This idea that they're wealthy, they have not a care in the world. You know, that's what I would be like if I had died. I'd be at rest. I wouldn't have a care in the world. Okay, we keep going. He, yes, sir. Go ahead. If it's who built ruins for themselves, is he basically said, saying we're equal at that point? All that they built came to ruins, and in death, they're all they're all at rest. He's yes, and he's going to make that point more explicit later on with the um, uh, the. Uh, verse 17, 18, and 19, as death as an equalizer, saying that at that point, we're all on the same level. But what I want to point out is that Job is seeking rest, is the blank there. He's really seeking, because of his anxiety, because, I don't want to use the word anxiety, but because of the heaviness that he's going through, because of the sadness and the sorrow, he is, he is, his whole world is turned upside down, and he is restless, and he needs rest. So where do we find rest? According to the New Testament, I gave you a verse there. Does anybody want to read uh, Hebrews 4? Uh, does anybody, anybody have that passage? I have it there on your notes, Hebrews 4, 8 through 10. I'd love to have somebody, if they could turn there and read it for us nice and loud. Do you have it, Lori? Yep. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Okay, so the picture of God resting from his work and the people of God entering into a rest that God has prepared through Christ. There is a rest that we find in Christ, the ceasing from work, the, the rest that we have in him, that he has paid it all, he has done it all, and there's a rest that we find in Christ. What's the issue we have with, with Job here in the Old Testament? Why, what is one of the major reasons he's struggling as severely as he is, do you think? What gift do we have that he didn't have? We have, we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. When did that come upon all believers? At Pentecost, right? Old Testament believers had the influence of the Spirit at times, and at times the Spirit would come upon them, but it was the exception, not the rule. It was not normal for the Spirit to indwell believers until after Pentecost. So this is, this is something that is a little bit unique, uh, but still, I think, uh, echoes with us. I just want to bring out that we find rest in Christ, and he's looking for that rest, and I think he's, he's, um, we're anticipating that. Let's look at verse 16 through 19. Um, he, he desires death as preferable to living. In verse 16, he says, Why was I not hidden like a stillborn, like infants who never saw light? Uh, notice the equalizer. I've called death the equalizer here in verse 17. That's your blank. The wicked cease from troubling, and there is no, I'm sorry, and there the weary are at rest. The prisoners rest together. They don't hear the voice of the oppressor. The small and the great are there in the grave, and the servant is free from the master. All the troubles of our lives are equalized in death. And he says, all these people seem to be happier in death than in life. Verse 20 through 23, he has a final question. This is like one long question. Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter of soul? Why long for death, but it does not come and search for more than hidden treasures? If you have a, a, mar, a, a note Bible or you want to make a note, 
that phrase in verse 21, I want you to write off to the, to the right margin or to the left, Job 28, because that's going to come into play later. He says, why do they search for it more than hidden treasures? I want you to just put a bookmark in that. We'll come back to it when we get to Job 28, which is a very important chapter. They rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and to whom God has what? God has hedged in. The basic question is, why was life given to people in misery? And, and, and in verse 23, this is really fascinating, why is life given to a man who is hedged in by God? Does that ring a bell anywhere? Does that word ring a bell to you about the book of Job? Where, where has that appeared already? You've got a hedge around him. That's a, it's the same word in Hebrew. And, and the word means to cover. You have covered him. What did Satan mean when he said that? You, you have covered him, and I can't... Of course he's going to uh, bless you, Lord, because you've covered him. You have put a hedge around him. What does he mean by that? What did Satan mean? I can't get to him. I can't get to him. You've got a hedge of protection. How does Job interpret now God's covering him? prisoner, right? That God's, God's smothering him is really the picture. God has hedged me in. Okay, he's covered me. So um, then he concludes the lament in verses 24 and 20, through 26 when he says, for my sighing comes before I eat, my groanings pour out like water, so food and water. The thing I greatly feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest for trouble comes I have a quote here um, from uh, Robert Alden's book on Job. He says, Job's concluding lament is depressing to the extreme. First, he compares his grief to food and drink. Then he confesses that the things he feared the most had materialized. Finally, he summarized his lot as the loss of three good things in exchange for possession of one bad thing, which is turmoil. So I have a question as we, as we go through this really heavy, really depressing uh, things. I want to conclude it by asking uh, a couple questions, or first by making a statement, then then talking this through a little bit. God put this in the Bible for us. Why do you think He did that? Like I think nobody wakes up in the morning is like I'm going to read my devotions this morning. I'm going to have enough fuel to start the day. Lord, give me some spiritual energy. What's in my reading schedule? Good. Job. I love Job. Job 3. <laughs> and you start your day off reading Job 3, looking for a spiritual nugget to carry you through your day. It's going to be a little difficult. Why do you think, Marilyn? Because it's a buzzword. Normalize. Is he just trying to normalize? <clears throat> okay. To make it like, okay, this is Is, is God trying to normalize grief where he's giving us what people go through and trying to help us understand what's going on? Yeah, I think that's very possible. Somebody else? Yes, Charles? We, we get the whole view that Job didn't get, that God's still in control, God's still in charge, that bad things happen to people. Sometimes when they've done nothing to deserve it, it's, that's a true thing that happens. Yeah. But God's still in control and still has a plan to we, we have the picture because we're reading Job 1 and 2. <clears throat> Job doesn't have the whole picture yet, and he doesn't have the whole picture ever. I'm convinced <clears throat> Job went to his grave not knowing all this stuff. That's my, my personal conviction. And I think you're right. I think, I think both of you are right. I think that um, when you're not in sadness, 
it is very hard to understand what someone's going through. But when you're in it, it this feels like somebody's talking your language. Um, so I, anybody else have more comments about why, why would God give us something so heavy? Yeah, Jenna? You're not the only one, yeah. Andy? Yeah, I think maybe the Jews go through the Holocaust to be able to identify with that chapter as well, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. That passage would have significance to them. And so I think it was written so that we, when we go through these times, we have a reference. Yeah, we have, we have a reference um, of, of God's way, of, of a godly man who responded. And if we think, man, if a godly man feels this way... Um, why? Of course, I'm going to feel this way. Uh, I had two kind of mean things here. Yes, sir. One other thing in our day and time, I think it's really important to see that although Job longed for death, he never considered the possibility that he could make that happen right. to himself. Right. So suicide was never God's. God was in control of life and death, and He might want it, but it wasn't His to pursue. That's, that's very true. He still trusted the Lord with His life. He was not going about to take his own life, even though it would have been very easy. I mean, his, his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die, I, with, the, with the, kind of the insinuation that you could end it all and be done with it. Um, I, I, I think she was encouraging him to just kill himself. Um, but Job's perspective on this was, even though, I, even though I'm miserable, and he says he longs for death, he wants to die, he's not going to take that into his hand. That's God's control. That's in, totally in God's hands. Um, I, I, I usually, uh, whenever I teach this, I usually caution people not to, um, not to use Job as an excuse to wallow in self-pity, uh, because uh, normally our wallowing in self-pity is not a righteous wallowing. Um, we shouldn't use Job as an excuse. However, I have two kind of reasons why I think that this was given. I think first, it helps those who feel, it's kind of what Jenna was saying, it helps those who feel alone in their grief. Grief is a very lonely thing. You feel like you're the only person in the world who's ever experienced this. You feel like no one else could possibly understand. Grief is lonely. Job 3 shows you, no, it's not. No, you, you have, people have been there before. Um, God has been with those people too. And so grief can be very lonely and it helps those who are alone in their grief to know that they're not alone. And secondly, it helps those, those of us who are not sad to understand the pain and the grief of someone we love and what they're facing. It, it is hard to grasp when someone else is depressed and going through a really severe sadness or sorrow of loss. It is extremely hard for people who are not experiencing that to empathize with that person. I, at least, let me put it this way. I struggle to empathize with people when I myself am not sad. Okay, I, I, I go to a lot of funerals, and I work with people, and I pray with people, and I'm with people. Sometimes I'm sad, and sometimes I don't know the person super well. I, I, I have a hard time empathizing, but I, I try to remember they are experiencing extreme sadness right now. Slow down. 
be careful, don't, don't, you know, and be sensitive. And we need, we need to take a, I think a, a page from that and be sensitive to people, people who have loss and is normal to experience sadness due to law, due to loss. Does that make sense? It's normal to experience sadness due to loss. And I also had to hear that, that the Bible includes the fullness of human expression, including the heights of joy and the depths of sorrow. We have pleasure and we have pain. We have success and failure. And in all of this, we need to remember that as far as our lives go, we will probably be in some sort of sad situation at some point in our lives. And this can be encouraging to know that we're not alone. However, I would encourage you not to wallow and also not to, be, um, not to give, ho- give up hope. Because despair, as we counsel people here, we tell them despair is sadness without hope. And there's nothing wrong with sadness, but when you take God out of the picture and you say there's no hope and nothing's going to ever change and it's all gone, that's when you have entered into despair and depression and you are actually close to sinning at that point, if not. Well, yes, sir. Ernest. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think the only thing I can reference is in chapter one when it says that he, um, he, well, let's see, in, um, let's see if I can find it. Uh, verse five, it may be he offers burnt offerings for his children. It says, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Job did, thus Job did regularly. regularly. It's also possible that he just. Uh, feared that he would uh, lose everything that he had at some point, and it happened. And I think we all have fears. I, you know, I don't know about you, but I have certain fears that uh, I'm just waiting for them to happen. And I'm not going to tell you what they are. But I have certain fears, you know, in my heart that I, I just, I get really nervous about because they're just it's something about something about a certain scenario or something really, really makes me scared. And I've been in situations where I'm like, I'm, I, I'm afraid of something happening and it happens. And Jenna will tell you, I'm like, I knew that was going to happen because I, I, I have, I have been scared of that happening and it just happened. And I've been doing everything I could to prevent that from happening, which is why I set all these rules up in my life. So that wouldn't happen. And it happened anyway. Have you ever been there? Am I the only person who does that? Okay. If I am, that's fine. I'm alone in this one situation. I get it. But, but I think that's what he's talking about. Let me um, close with this one thought, and then we'll dismiss and, on this. What did Job not do in this that maybe his friends expected him to do? What's that? Curse God? Okay, good. He didn't curse God. Despair. Despair. Well, he's close on despair. He's getting there. What did Job not do? That This is a really hard question. Yes, ma'am. He didn't ask God why. He didn't ask God why. That's true. He didn't really pray to God. He's just, he's just, yeah. But what did, what did Job, let me ask the question again. What did Job not do that his friends probably expected him to do in his first speech? Like he opens his mouth. What do his friends expect him to say and he not say? Right. He doesn't repent yet of anything. I think his friends are saying, okay, here he opens his mouth. He's going to say, I did this. Okay, Lord, I did this. I did this. I did this. I confess. I repent. Does he say any of that? No. And which is why we're going to next week talk through the first speech cycle, which is 4 through 11. We're going to hopefully catch all three friends and Job's responses. We're not going to spend as much time in this in, like we did today, like verse by verse. But we're going to look at Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar and their responses to Job and Job's response, because their responses are to this speech. 
that Job is sad, but he doesn't admit guilt. And they have a problem with that. Because in their mindset, wait a second, God is a retributive God. In other words, you do good stuff, God blesses you. You do bad stuff, God curses you. You've been cursed, therefore you did bad stuff. And because you're getting bad stuff and you, you're, not remember, you're not actually repenting of cursing God, you must have forgotten to cur- uh, you did this or whatever. They're going to accuse him of all kinds of things. And that's what comes up in the first speech cycle, okay? So I think that's the main thing that's missing from his speech that was expected, and we'll have to leave it at that. So go home, and if you want to, read Job 4 through 11, and next week we'll come back together and hit that first speech cycle, okay? Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it shows us the full range of human emotion from grief to joy. We thank you for these passages that are helpful and a good insight into those who struggle with severe sadness. Help us to have compassion in our hearts. Help us to have a sensitivity and a kindness towards those who are experiencing extreme grief. We would not be insensitive or unkind or tell them to just get over it, but we would be understanding through grief but Lord, also help us also not to wallow in self-pity either, that we would not um, do that, but with, with the, the peace we have in Christ, we would rest in you and be an example of how to handle these situations to others. Bless now our evening as we go our separate ways. Thank you, Lord, for your word and how it teaches us and, and helps us uh, to understand even our own hearts and what you're doing in this world. We ask your blessings on the remainder of our evening in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you all. Thank you.